Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 28 called The Crown of Glory and the Tested Stone. Isaiah 28, we finished up uh, chapters 24 through 27, which really looked at Isaiah's apocalypse and took us all the way into the future when we looked at the end times and we looked at how Isaiah spoke into the end times and looked forward. And we talked about how prophecy uh, many times has multiple fulfillments. And now Isaiah is going to take us back to the time of his own people And he's going to look forward to something that would happen shortly after the time that he wrote called the Assyrian Captivity. And that is that the northern kingdom was captured by the kingdom of Assyria in 722 BC. This is historically chronicled and it did actually occur in history. And what was happening now is that Judah to the south, the area of Jerusalem, was now trying to figure out what it was going to do. And one of the options that Jerusalem or the area of Judah had was to make an alliance with other nations. To the south of Jerusalem is Egypt. If you look at your map, you'll see that that's how it pans out today. And so what would happen is that Egypt was a power to the south, and then there were powers to the north. Assyria was coming from the north. And Israel, oftentimes throughout world history, found itself kind of in between these nations that would always be fighting And sometimes as a king would pass through Israel, he would just destroy Israel because he was mad that he lost a former battle. It was that kind of situation. They were were in this very tenuous situation as a nation. And so this great Assyrian host is coming, and humanly speaking, they're looking at it saying, man, we're outgunned, we're outnumbered, we don't know what we're going to do. And they're getting offers to the south from Egypt that, hey, make an alliance with us and we will protect you. That was a very tempting thing to do. But God was also speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he was saying, I am Emmanuel, I am God with you, and if you will trust me, I will be your refuge, I will be your protection, I will be everything that you need. Do not look to Egypt, look to me. Now we know as we study our Bibles that Egypt is a type. When we talk about types in the Bible, we're talking about something that pictures something else. And here, Egypt is a type of the world. And the deeper picture for us tonight as the people of God is when we have the Assyrias of our day threatening us, whether it be you know, something that looks huge in our life, whether it be some, um, something that looks like it's going to outnumber or outgun us, where will we look for our answers and our hope? Will we look to Egypt? Will we go back to the world? Will we, will we make what we might call ungodly alliances to find our refuge Or will we turn to God? That's the central question that much of the book of Isaiah is about. Will we trust God? It's easy to trust God when everything is fine. But can you trust God when maybe you don't get a medical diagnosis that you would wish? Can you trust God when your finances are not where you would hope they would be? Can you trust God when you have a relationship that's broken? You know, these are the kinds of questions. Can you trust God when an enormous, powerful, um, relentless, terribly uh, malicious army is coming your way and you know that every 
nation that they've taken on so far, they've left a wake of destruction, and now they got their target pointed at you? What if it were you? What if you were standing there and you knew this army was coming and God was saying, just trust me, and you're saying, that sounds good, but these people, I can see them. You know, they're human. You're, you're invisible to my eye. I can see your fingerprints in the creation and in my very soul, but sometimes it's easier to look to things that I can touch and that are right in front of me, uh, documents that I can sign, alliances that I can make with at least people who have or say they have good intentions. And so a woe is pronounced on the people. It says in your Bible, Isaiah 28, verse 1, he says, woe. That word woe is not from a rock and roll song but it is actually an expression of sympathy mixed with impending disaster. You oftentimes see the word woe repeated in the book of Revelation when a judgment is going to come from God or through an angel from God, and the angel will say, woe to the people. It's a, it's a sympathetic woe. It's like something terrible is coming, but it's also a warning. It's kind of that mixture of an idea. Woe to the proud crown. Literally, you could write in your Bible, it's rendered this way in the original. uh, Woe to the crown of pride of the drunkards of Ephraim. Now, that would be easy to pass by for a lot of us. But Ephraim is the northern empire. It is the divided kingdom. Remember, uh, Israel, um, after the time of Solomon, was divided. And basically what happened is you had a couple of kingdoms went to the south and 10 went to the north. And Ephraim was the northern kingdom. And sometimes it's also called Samaria because the capital of Ephraim was Samaria. So sometimes sometimes when you read in your Bible, Ephraim or Samaria, just think the northern kingdom. That's what we're dealing with here. The Think of the region up in Galilee, not to the south in Jerusalem, but that's what we're dealing with. This divided kingdom, it was also known as Israel. And the south was known as Judah. And sometimes you'll read about kings of Israel and kings of Judah. And you might be saying, what's the difference? Well, two kingdoms, they were divided. And there were kings in Judah and kings in Israel. Israel was the north, Judah was the south. And oftentimes the kings of Israel were very corrupt and idolatrous. And there were some kings, good kings in Judah. And of course, as you read your Bible, you see there's a few good kings, but oftentimes many bad ones. And up to the north in this beautiful, if you get to go to Israel, what you'll find is uh, to the northern part of the country, there's a lot of rich green beauty. And Israel has blossomed again, but especially in the north, you're going to find that there's just a lot of green, wonderful things to look at. Uh, The Jordan River flows through. You have Mount Hermon. You have a lot of different beautiful things and sites that you can see. And if you take a trip to Israel, usually they'll start in the north part of the country, and then they'll move you down to the south, and then you end the trip in the city of God, as it were, the city of Jerusalem. So it's kind of like Isaiah turns, and and he looks to the north, and he sees Ephraim, and he calls them the drunkards of Ephraim, verse 1, and to the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is at the head of the fertile valley of those who are overcome with wine. It is filled with fertility blessings. It is filled with vineyards and trees and all this beautiful stuff that produces. And one of the things that it produces is grapes and vineyards. 
And so the people have set up shop and they say, man, we got it going on. We're living in decadence. We've, we're living in these blessings and we can kick back and sit on the couch and, and we can make the wine and we can drink it up. And so they drink, but they don't just drink. They drink and they drink and they drink. And now they've been come to be known as the drunkards of Ephraim. This is a nickname that's been tagged to them because they don't know when to stop. Now, the Bible does not condemn the drinking of wine or alcoholic beverages. But the Bible does condemn drunkenness. And there are people who are walking the face of the earth today that are Christians that can and do have the liberty to partake in wine and beer There are other Christians that, as a matter of conscience, have decided that they cannot do that, and they should not do that, and those of us who have the freedom to do it don't need to exercise our freedom in front of those who are too weak to do so. What I mean by that is they're not in a position in their flesh where they can handle it. Love says what we do in those kinds of situations is we err always on the side of love, not on the side of liberty. You have liberty as a Christian to do a number of things. What you have to wrestle with is whether or not those are going to be things that will build you up in your walk or tear you down. There are some things that are simply neutral. Some things that you can do as a Christian, music choices, and they can, they can come down to issues of alcoholic intake that you're going to have to decide before the Lord. But one thing that we don't want to do is become legalistic, legalistic on these issues. But the other thing that we don't want to do is be unwise. There are simply things that the Lord reveals to you as you walk with him. And you have to decide whether or not you really even need to go there anymore. And for a lot of Christians, they've just decided, you know what, I don't need that. It's not something that's necessary. And for others, they say, you know what, I have that freedom. And in, in the proper context, I will exercise that freedom. But the one thing that you need to know is the Bible in Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine. That is debauchery. That is a waste. And what it says is, by contrast, be filled with the Spirit. I was at a conference um, just yesterday for pastors, and a speaker was talking about how important it is that we not sow to the flesh and we be filled with the Spirit. And he says, isn't it interesting that Paul after he says, don't be drunk with wine, then he says, but be filled with the Spirit. And when we talk about drunkenness, we talk about being under the influence of something. What we mean by that is that thing that we've partaken of has begun to take over who we are. And so that's the danger. When you become under the influence of some, and it could be wine, it could be whatever, if it begins to dominate you, If instead of you drinking the drink, it's drinking you, then you know that you are in trouble. And as a Christian, you are not to be mastered by anything, for you have one master, and his name is Jesus. And so you are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, he made this point. He said, can someone just walk by a liquor store and be filled with liquor? No. Can you drive by a liquor store and be filled with liquor? No, now take now contrast it. Do you walk by your church and get filled with the Spirit? Do you sleep with your head on the Bible and get filled with the things of the Spirit? No, just as it takes an intentional intake to be filled with wine, 
So it takes an intentional intake to be filled with the Spirit. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You're invited to our next apologetics event called Dare to Defend. This is something that you're going to want to go to because it's going to bolster your faith and encourage you and give you reasons and answers for the hope that you have. Join some of today's top apologists who will provide real answers to skeptics' toughest questions and equip you with the tools necessary to confront the moral confusion of today's culture. J.P. Moreland talking about miracles. Why do I have to have an answer to this question? I at least know there's a God. Sean McDowell dealing with deconstruction. When I was on the road, to met a man he goes i'm his last friend who didn't bail on him i thought man what does it matter with us john and claudia kalmakoff if they don't have that foundation and they don't know about god's promises and what we know is true not by what we're feeling but by facts historical archaeological facts what we know to be true then their feelings take over lenny esposito who will deal with the power of the archaeological record you know you're doing a construction project rome they were trying to build the subway and they had to keep stopping because they keep finding stuff hey if you're looking to get further equipped and we all should be this is the conference to go to dare to defend begins friday evening on march 25th at living truth christian fellowship in corona california get your tickets now and make sure you have plans to join us learn more about dare to defend and get your tickets when you visit walkintruth.com that's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH That's 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Just as it takes an intentional intake to be filled with wine, so it takes an intentional intake to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to push the analogy too far, but you know what I'm saying. If you want to be empowered or under the influence of the Holy Spirit, then you need to do something to get the things of God into you, which would be prayer, reading the Word of God, studying it, worship. Don't think that it's just going to happen by osmosis that somehow you're going to be spiritual just because you have called yourself a Christian or you belong to a church. Every single day, in order to be filled with the Spirit, which means to be controlled by, that's what the Greek word is, plerao, it means to be controlled or saturated with the Spirit, you must take the things of the Spirit in. It doesn't just happen. Have you all realized that? And then you have a season in your life where you stay away from your Bible, you're not going to Bible study as much, and then you hit this season of dryness, and then you start to ask questions like, why am I so dry, and why am I in a pit, and why do I feel like this? And, And then you talk to a pastor, and they say, when's the last time you read your Bible? And you say, 1980. You go, ah, you might want to look into that one. And so a woe is pronounced on these proud drunkards, they're, they're proud of where they live, but they, they don't seem to realize that all their gifts are from God. And God's blessed them for a reason, not to abuse the things that they have, not to sit there and rest on their laurels, but to do something for, for the kingdom. And in Israel's case, it was always to be a light to the other nations. They were supposed to be um, those who shared the truth of God. But instead of that, they were in a drunken binge. And it made them very susceptible They were a fading flower, but they didn't see it. Their their crown was their pride. 
Whenever you think of a crown, what you should think of is that which um, makes you proud. What do you rejoice in? Sometimes you'll find two different words uh, for crown. You'll find a diadem is a royal crown, and a stephanos in Greek means the victor's crown. What do you rejoice in? What are you proud of? What victories do you celebrate the most? That's the idea of a crown. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 said that the Thessalonian church was his crown of rejoicing. Uh, when the Lord came in the, in the day of the Lord, Paul was going to rejoice that the Thessalonians had believed because of his ministry. And it's as though Paul would say, I'm going to cast that crown before the feet of the Lord. And my crown of rejoicing, listen to this, is going to be the people I won to Jesus Christ. What are you most proud of? In the uh, Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games that go way back to the time of Paul, when you won an Olympic race, they gave you a crown and it was a wreath. It was flowers. And what would happen is, and rather than getting a gold medal in that day, they would award you with a wreath of flowers. But you know what happens? We give somebody some flowers and they're all pretty and beautiful. But how long does it take, ladies, even with that little special white stuff that you put in there and... You know, you keep it by the window, maybe a week, maybe two tops, and then it fades. And what God is saying is basically, you have put all your stock in a crown of pride that is simply going to die. And then what will you do? Paul says, the people who win the races, they train. Think of an Olympic athlete. Think of the gymnast, man. They train, I think, 8 to 12 hours a day to prepare for a moment, And then when you see them fall, it's like heartbreaking. You're like, oh no, because you realize how much time they invested in training and all of that, not eating this. And, and, And Paul says, they do it for a crown that perishes, but we do it for a crown that will last, how long? Forever. What we do has eternal ramifications. And even if you get a gold medal, as cool as that is, and if you get seven of them or 10 of them, look, They are just metal. And it's something to rejoice in when you get achievements and you do well at stuff. But what the Lord wants us to learn to do is rejoice in him and those that we affect for his kingdom because those are the things that will truly last. And the world has sold us a bill of goods. The world says, no, you'll be happy if you get your own nice fitting crown with a bunch of jewels in it. And you can sport it wherever you go. Look at my crown. See that? See how shiny it is? Right? And some people do that. They, they get out of high school. And I'm making a confession. I've said it before. I had a Maserati, and I drive by my high school just to see if someone would see me. He's my Maserati. You see who it is? Right? That's pride. And God's saying, I want you to be proud and rejoice in the things that really matter. And the more we take in what the world offers to us, we say, okay, there's promises attached to this. Uh, they say, if, if you get this crown and it fits just this way, you're going to be happy. And I shared with you a quote from Tom Brady, married to a supermodel, several Super Bowl rings. He doesn't know what peace is. He wishes he knew the answer. How can someone like Tom Brady say such a thing? Unless, unless we were made for a much deeper purpose than just winning a big game or looking cool 
to other people. Verse 2. Behold the Lord, that's Adonai there, and that means the sovereign one. Everything is at his disposal, if you like. Verse 2, we've gotten through one verse. Has a strong and mighty agent. As a storm of hail, a tempest of destruction, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters, he has cast it down to the earth with his hand. God is saying, basically, I have a strong agent, and that agent is coming, and unless you learn to make me your crown, your crown's going to end up in the mud. It's going to be cast down to the earth. The Lord has a strong and mighty agent, and his agent, in this case, remember, we set it up, is who? It's Assyria. God can use both what we call natural things, like we call nature or natural disasters, and he can use other nations, even if they're ungodly, as agents for his purposes. Everything, Adonai, here's the meaning, everything is at the beck and call of God. He made it all, and he can use it for his purposes. That's the idea. And so God says, my agent in this case is going to be Assyria. I'm going to allow them to come down and I'm going to allow them to have their way. But I want you to notice, he, God, is the one who will cast it down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown, verse 3, of the drunkards of Ephraim is trodden underfoot. You almost get the image of their shiny crown being stuck in the mud and person after person steps on it. Have you ever seen when uh, somebody thinks that something is happening in a building or a concert clears out or something? Have you ever seen people trampled before? When people are in a panic, what happens is they'll trample a human being and they won't even think twice about it. They're trying to get out of danger or whatever. That's basically what's happening. God's saying, look, your crown is sticking in the mud and person after person is walking over it because you don't know what has value. You think that's valuable? But what really is important, you've reversed. And it's as, it's as though you, you let other things, you walked over other things that were important to you. Your crown... You had your false crown up here and everything else down here. And what I wanted you to do is put people and me up here and put everything else down there. And now your crown's in the mud. You've been listening to The Crown of Glory and the Tested Stone, part one on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 28. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you visit walkintruth.com to learn about our apologetics event in March called Dare to Defend. You can learn about the various guest speakers who will be talking about how you can address various topics the culture is facing. We'd love to see you there, so visit walkintruth.com to learn about Dare to Defend. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, sometimes we hear people say, you should be proud of that or take pride in that, or I take pride in that. Is that wrong? Well, not necessarily. You know, it's it's good to take pride in your work, for example, or take pride in uh, efforts that you do on sports or whatever it may be. I don't think that's so much the issue. The pride problem has to do with self-inflation. <laughs> Just hear the... <laughs> <laughs> right, the blowing up of the noggin, as it were. I mean, with air, uh, it's it's a boastful self uh, elevation. That's the problem. It's not doing things well or doing things your best. That's not the problem. And I think we all know what real pride is. Pride is self inflation, self 
exaltation in an ordinate, uh, you know, kind of concentration on self instead of living for God and for others. You get it. It's a battle for all of us. We've got to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, um, if this is a sore subject or there's something else that uh, maybe you just have a question about or you need some prayer, uh, we have pastors available. I've been telling you about a phone number you can call Tuesday through Friday, 844-48-TRUTH, 9 to 4 Pacific Time, 844-48-TRUTH. You can email us as well. The email address is contact at walkintruth.com. We've recently got a, a wonderful couple of uh, emails and letters, and we're grateful for each one. Hey, we'd like to know how the program has been a blessing to you. And thank you so much for those of you who pray for us. Some of you, you know, you you would like to express it, but you haven't reached out to us yet. Would you do that? It, it really blesses us. And we read those and we get excited when we know how the program's touching people, encouraging the saints. Contact at walkintruth.com. Com. Well, we're excited to be with you tomorrow in the book of Isaiah. Thanks for your prayers and your support. See you tomorrow. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. But our funds are mostly supported by our church in Southern California. Would you please help us pay for the airtime on the radio station you're listening to? A monthly partnership of at least $5 a month is all we ask. Please donate when you visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 28 called The Crown of Glory and the Tested Stone. I'm Mike Massaro, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.